An upbringing makes a series of choices to continue to serve and honor God in whatever situation he finds himself. His brothers um, basically sell him into slavery. He makes his way into the service of a captain of the guard by the name of Potiphar. He continues to serve and makes his way all the way up to basically Potiphar's right-hand man. Potiphar's wife sets her sights on Joseph, and Joseph uh, basically tells her no. And she's not used to being told no, so the next thing you know, she lies about Joseph, and he finds himself in prison again. In prison, he continues to serve again, and the prisoner, uh, the guy in charge of the prison, gets to the point that he trusts Joseph with everything as well. Joseph, rather than again focusing on the circumstances of the situations, continues to serve God, finds two men in a prison one day, a baker and a butler, who are troubled. Joseph interprets a dream for them. He asks a very simple request that they remember him, and they forget him, for two years. We talked last week about the idea that Pharaoh had come up with a two dreams, and he gathered everybody together, and no one could help him out. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer, the butler, remembers Joseph, mentions him to Pharaoh. They rush down to get, Pharaoh, uh, to get Joseph. They clean him all up. They bring this 30-year-old guy before Pharaoh, who at the time is the most powerful person on the planet. Before Pharaoh, Pharaoh says, I've heard you can interpret dreams, and Joseph looks at him and says, no, I can't, but my God can. And Joseph gives him the interpretation of his dream. He had two dreams. The first dream was that there were seven fat cows that came up out of the river, and they were eating, and seven scrawny cows came up and ate the fat cows, and then Pharaoh woke up. Then another deal that there was a sheaf of of wheat or whatever that comes up, and it's got seven heads on it, and one scrawny one then overtakes the other. Seven scrawny one comes up and overtakes the other one, and he wakes up, and he asks everybody the interpretation. No one can give him the interpretation. Joseph then, standing before him, and this is where we finished, ended last week, gave him the interpretation, and he basically says, you know, the seven good cattle, the seven good grain heads, those those are seven good years, and then the others are seven bad years. And he says, Pharaoh, here's what's going to happen. God gave the dream twice because he's going to do it pretty quick. But he's going to take, you're going to have seven great years in Egypt. And you're going to have seven absolutely horrible years. And um, God's going to do this thing pretty quickly. Now, normally, Joseph would end his interpretation right there. But Joseph does something that's unique in this story. And that's where we're going to pick it up this morning. So listen to what he says. He now is going to tell Pharaoh what he ought to do. That's a bold move for a 30-year-old. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man. Put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest, or 20% of the harvest. During the seven years of abundance, they should all collect food these good years that are coming and store them grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. The food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt, so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. He had already said, when he gave the interpretation, that 
The seven years of famine are going to be so bad, everybody's going to forget the seven good years. And then he goes on to say, the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man in whom the Spirit is the Spirit of God? Now, that's a bold statement in a pagan world and in a pagan throne room that's surrounded by pagan gods. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh then took his signet ring from his finger, and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot as a second in command, and the people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name uh, zaphnath Panah and gave him Ashtaroth, the daughter of Potiphorah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt, and he was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh the king. And Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt and stored them in the cities. In each city, he put food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain, like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Ashdath, daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh and said, It is because God made me forget all my trouble in my father's household. And the second he named Ephraim. And he said, It is because God hath made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. So let's make sure we understand it all. You've got seven years of uh, plenty followed by seven years of famine. Um, before we get into this, uh, l- let me lay out this little principle that, that I think you see in this passage, but we don't talk about. Joseph says to Pharaoh, look, here's what's going to happen. When the seven years of famine comes, everybody's going to forget the seven years of plenty. So during the seven years of plenty, here's what we're going to do. We are going to collect 20% tax, by the way. What this would have. In addition to all the other taxes, they added another 20% to it. So you can imagine how that go over in our country. Okay, guys, um, after you pay the taxes on your harvest this year, we're going to want another 20% of it. Tough job. Just so we're going to take 20% of it. We're going to build all kinds of silos. We're going to start storing all this stuff up. And Joseph said, the reason we're going to do this is because when the famine comes, we will have the resources, and this is the key, the resources that we collected during the times of plenty. Follow that? This is a great life principle. When things are going well, that's the time to lay the foundation and store up for the times of difficulty that are ahead. If you're in a point right now in your Christian walk where things are going really well, this is the time to spend time with God. This is the time 
to dig into your devotion. This is the time to dig into your prayer life. This is the time to spend it and store those things up and shore those things up because there is difficulty coming. And when difficulty comes, you're going to turn to look for the resources that you've stored up. And if you haven't stored anything up, the difficulty and the hardship is going to so overwhelm all of the times of good, you're going to forget them completely. This is a great principle for us to grasp a hold of because we're in a country that doesn't get this right now. Um, one of the things that you start to see in this, in, in this idea is Joseph saying, look, when things are going well, that's the time to lay that foundation, to build that stuff up. You see this across the board. I have, you know, oh, you know, I don't have time for relationships. I don't have time for friends. I don't have time for this. I don't have time. Everything's going so well in my life. You know what? The church thing, eh, you know what? I don't need it right now. Everything's going good. And then difficulty comes, and it's like, okay, where am I? I, I, I need to call somebody. I need somebody to talk to. Well, wait a minute. If you've built it up in times of plenty when things were going well, then it's easy to resource when things are going, when things are going bad. When you're trying, when things are going difficult and hardship, and that's the time you're trying to build those relationships, it, it, it's too hard. It's too much. D- don't you see this financially? Have you, this is what you're watching play out right now. You're going to watch this in the next couple of months when people start to do their taxes. They gave out this uh, credit thing for parents and stuff like that, and 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 everybody's like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Some people took that money and used it wisely and stored it up and waited on it. Other people went out and went, oh, we can buy a new TV now. Oh, we can go buy this, we can go buy that, we can go buy that. So they spend it all. They're going to do their taxes now, and they're used to getting a certain amount back. What they're going to realize is that the reason they always have gotten a certain amount back because they got part of that. Earlier, they gave everybody half of that. They gave parent, a lot of parents half of that. Now all of a sudden, parents are going to be going, how come I'm not getting money back? What am I going to do? I don't have the money coming. Why? Because when the time of plenty, when they had it, they didn't use it wisely. Is that not what's happening in our culture? Where all of a sudden we get people, where, where people, and so financially this plays out. When things are going well for you, start putting some aside for the times of difficulty. That's, that's what you want to do. Same thing. In your relationships, when things are going well, that's the time to go, you know what? I'm going to take and I'm going to make the commitment to spend time with people so that when difficulty comes, I've got people I can, I can depend on. It works out all the way across the board. Kids, listen. This is why, teenagers, you make wise decisions now. You lay the foundation now so that when difficulty comes, you have something to go back to. You've got things that you've already built up. Because you have friends who are just wasting their life, and then they're going to come up with difficulty. they got nowhere to go. They have no, no relationship, nothing that they can depend on. It's a great principle. And it's an important life principle for all of us. Joseph basically looks at Pharaoh and says, this is what you got to do. And so Pharaoh looks at him, which I think is amazing, and says, you're my guy. Joseph didn't self-promote himself. Joseph just said, here's another principle. Uh, I'm not even to the story yet, but here's another principle. What does Joseph do? Joseph presents Pharaoh with a problem. 
famine coming. And he gives them a solution. Those of you who are in the work world, I, I learned this from guys that I worked for, and, 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 and this is a good management, a good management deal. If you're going to come to me with a problem, come to me with a solution. Those of you who, you know, you got something going on at work that bothers you, and you're going to go in and you're going to talk to the boss about it. When you talk to the boss about it, you come in with two solutions. That tells the boss that you fought this thing through. You're not just a griper and a whiner. So you go to the boss and go, hey, you know what, look, you know, we got a problem here with people showing up at work. What if we did, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, you can do whatever you want, you're the boss, but, you know, here's a couple of things that, that, you know, I thought maybe we could try. Now all of a sudden it's like, you know what? You're not just whining, you're actually trying to solve the problem. That's what Joseph does. He says, look, Pharaoh, here's the deal. You got seven years of good stuff, seven years of bad stuff. I think you get somebody, put them in charge of it, tax everybody 20%, store it all up for seven years, and then when the seven years come, and by the way, this was brilliant. It got to the point that they had collected so much grain. You're going to see this later in the story. They had collected so much grain. Not only did they feed all of Egypt, but all of the little communities from around came in and started saying, hey, we want grain too. And they had a corner on the market. So you know what they start doing? Well, it's going to cost you. And all of a sudden, the wealth of Egypt skyrockets. And by the way, Joseph is going to rule in Egypt for almost 80 years, for 80 years. Um, so, you know, as we, as we get into the story, so Joseph says, look, here's what you need to do. Here's the plan. And Pharaoh miraculously looks at it and goes, well, you're my guy. And he's looking around at all of the people he's assembled around him, all of his important people, all of these Egyptian people, and goes, anybody think we got a smarter guy in the room than him? <laughs> I don't care if you thought he was wrong. When Pharaoh asked that question, you go, nope, you're right. Let's do whatever you want, Pharaoh. And Pharaoh then starts this process. Um, he Egyptianizes. Joseph, because again, he's going to put him second in command. Okay? I mean, he's a farm kid from Israel. And you're going to put him second in command to the point that no one in this world, uh, everyone has to bow to him. No one in this world is, 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 is um, exempt from that except Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the only person who doesn't bow to Joseph. That kind of authority, that kind of power. He takes his ring off. The most powerful person in the world, symbolic of his power, and says, it's now yours. He takes these fine linen robes that Egyptian people wore, the finest of the finest of the finest, and puts it on him. He gives him a name. Now, we're not sure exactly what the name means, so let me give you a whole bunch of options, and you just pick one. <laughs> Revealer of secrets, the God has said he will live. He who recognizes life, my provision is God, the living one. It's interesting that even in the name that he gives him, it's kind of associated with God, and it's God. Then he gives him a 
pagan wife. Now, um, she actually, uh, this would have legitimized Joseph in the eyes of the Egyptian. When you study this gal, um, she was the daughter of the priest of An. In the Egyptian world at this time, uh, the, the priest, the An was a place, uh, Helopolis is where it is. It's, a, it, it, it's really the cultural center of the uh, solar gods, the god Ray. Uh, in fact, the oldest in, in Egyptian history, the oldest, or the first religious worship site of Ray is, is in An. So in this culture, there were, there were a lot of big, important priest families. There's only one more important than the priest of An. So the idea of giving him the daughter of the priest of An legitimized him in the Egyptian world to a degree. Because it's like, I mean, just think about it for a minute. This Hebrew guy is now in charge of all of Egypt. What gives him the right to rule? And then when they realize, oh, he's married to the priest of An's daughter... So apparently the priest of An, who's like next to Ray, is okay with this, so this must be an okay thing. In the first seven years of plenty, one of the things that you see in the story is Joseph has two children. Um, and he names them. Now that's, that in and of itself is unique because often the women name the children. But he gives them Hebrew names. And the Hebrew names that he gives them, Ephraim and Asher, here's what it means. Forget and fruitful. He looks at his children, and, he, and when he tries to choose a name, you know, I mean, that's a, that's a big thing for a parent, you know. I mean, I mean choose a name like a big thing, because, like, the kid's stuck with it forever. So, you know, um, and, and, you know, I mean, I, I've been fortunate. I, I have to say, when my... Kids pick names for their kids. I'm not saying I was all on board, but they got it right. Okay? They got it right. Um, so anyway, so in this whole thing, he looks at the firstborn and he says, I'm going to name you Forget. Because I have forgotten my past struggles. In fact, the word that he uses for struggles is really interesting. It's a word that later in the book of Exodus is tied to the troubles that Israel had with Egypt when they left and their suffering and the hardship. He said, because I want, every time I say your name, I want to be reminded of the fact that my past is in the past. Now that's huge. Because here's what you need to remember. He is the, other than Pharaoh, he is the most powerful person on the planet. If he wanted to, he could go through a checklist of everybody who's wronged him and bring them in and start cutting off heads, including Potiphar's wife, including Potiphar. If he wants to get revenge, see, here's the thing. People talk about, you know, oh, I'm forget, you know, I've forgotten it, and I'm not going to hold it against him. And okay, here's how you really have. Here's how you really know if you've let it go. When you are in a position of power to do them harm, what do you choose? 
because Joseph's in that position. And he chooses to say, "My fir- the firstborn is, I'm going to call him forgetful. I have forgotten my past hurts and difficulties and struggles. My next child, I'm going to name fruitful because God has blessed me. And when you look at, if you think about this for Joseph, for the next 80 years, he's going to live the life of the rich and famous. Everything he wants is his. He's going to want for nothing. He's got all of the power in the world. He's got it all. I mean, he has everything. And he says, again, recognizing God, God has done this for me. And by the way, it's interesting. He starts at 30 years of age. I think that's significant. Joseph often is used as a type of Christ. We'll talk about this later down the road. Um, Jesus begins his earthly ministry at the age of 30. But make no mistake, for 13 years, Joseph has paid an incredible price to get where he is. And he's been faithful to his God all the way along the way. So let's talk about a couple of principles for us kind of as we head into this. Here's the first one. The bad often overshadows the good. Don't forget that. I think one of the reasons that we become so forgetful of God's goodness is when we go through difficult times, we want to focus on how bad it is or what's happened to us and all of that. And I'm not minimizing the difficulty of that. But here's the thing we also forget. We forget the times of plenty. We forget the fact. You you talk about your health and what's going on with your health right now. But we forget about the fact that we are in a country that has some of the best health care in the world. We, you, you can complain all you want about you're not putting enough gravel on my road. You need to understand we have some of the nicest roads in the world. We talk all you want about our infrastructure, but you've got to understand most of us, we have clean drinking water. We have, you know, I say it often, but to me, it's a silly thing, but it's a real thing. We flush our toilets with cleaner water than a lot of the world gets to drink. In fact, we're so spoiled, we buy our water in bottles so we don't have to go to the sink. And we forget how good. We go to a closet and we choose which clothes we want to wear. Some of you got up this morning and had to pick which car to drive. You know? No, yeah, we don't, yeah, okay. I don't know. There's got to be a story there. All right. Um, that'd be fun. See, if you were in small group and you'd meet this week, you could find out the story. But, and seriously, it's one of those deals where we forget the good Things that God has given us. And if you struggle with this, start, start a gratefulness journal. Start at how, how fortunate we are. Uh, we're in a country, we live in a country, where actually, if you work your entire life, you get to a point the government says, 
we will send you a check based on the fact that you've worked all of these years. In most countries, you work until the day you die. And there is no safety net. There is no check from the government. You work or you die. When we went to Jamaica, I will never forget visiting a nursing home in Jamaica. Where in Jamaica, the government takes care of people as they age and can no longer work. The beds that many of the people slept on were nothing more than a set of springs. There, weren't a, there wasn't a mattress on them. It's just a set of springs. And one of the most life-changing things for me was I had Josh with me, and we went, and there was, a, there was an older guy there who was a Christian. And he had this incredible testimony of being able to sing and rejoice in spite of those circumstances. So much so that I went and got Josh. I, I had met him, and I went and got Josh. I said, Josh, you got to meet this guy. One of my favorite pictures is of Josh and this guy together sitting on his bed. We, we have so much. We have so much. In times of plenty, take stock of what you really have. Second idea, I think, in this story is this idea that Joseph really lets go all of the hurts that have been done to him. When he's in a position of power to do some real damage, to really, really get even. He doesn't. He doesn't. I get people have hurt you. People have let you down. Church, religion, preachers, whatever else. Something got in your craw. Let it go. Because it will destroy you. Hebrews teaches this very simply. Lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, thereby thereby trouble you, and many will be defiled. Bitterness and anger is the one thing that will destroy its own container. It will ruin you. And all of a sudden, people who normally would hang around you start putting more and more distance because you know what? You're just you're just miserable to be around. You all know a person like this, don't you? How do you think they got that way? I've watched it play out in ministry after ministry all over the country. It's amazing to me. I watched it happen in Virginia. I watched it happen in Wisconsin. I watched it happen in Iowa. It's not like local to us, but people just won't let go of stuff, and it eats them alive. Joseph has a son, and he says, your name is forget because I have forgotten the hurts and the things that were done to me. I have put them in the path. When we get to Joseph's brothers, we're going to talk about this issue. And I I don't think that forgiveness means forgetting, but I do think it means this idea of not holding it to to the account anymore. You see that with Joseph. And he focuses on God's goodness to him. Last principle, and this is kind of the toughest one, because I think for some of you, as, as I've been talking and I've been preaching, you've been looking at Joseph, you go, you know what, okay, okay I understand, Joseph struggled for 13 years, but for 80 years he had an awesome life. 
And you don't understand my situation, Pastor. What I'm up against right now, it ain't ever going to get better. There is no rainbow at the end of what I'm dealing with right now. My marriage, my finances, my career, my job, my health, whatever it is. There's no rainbow at the end of it. It only gets worse from here. I'm never coming out of the pit, so to speak, that Joseph was in. I'm always going to be there. So it's really hard for me when you talk about a story like this because, yeah, I understand Joseph really suffered for 13 years, but Joseph enjoyed 80 years of awesomeness. And I'm never going to get that. What I'm going to say is going to be hard, but it's biblical. Paul addresses this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Um, it's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, just FYI. Um, if, uh, when they do my funeral and the pastor doesn't know what to preach, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's it. Okay, we'll be good. Write that down somewhere, honey. <laughs> or, yeah, Cooper can get it back on the video. Um, here's what it says. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. I understand you may have no relief at the end of your life here. But you need to understand there's something that's far bigger at play here. Joseph had 13 really horrible years here to have 80 really great years here. You may have 80 horrible years here of struggle, pain, difficulty, hardship, whatever it is. I come back to my rope illustration. And the reason is this is just, I'm a visual, I'm a visual learner. This helps me. Let the rope represent eternity. And let this represent your lifetime here, whether that's 10 years or 50 years or 100 years or 70 years or whatever it is. And you're going, this entire time, Joseph had like his, his birth and then he had that like to 17 and then he had like 13 years of really horrible and he had like 80 years of really great. You don't understand, my life is 80 years of really tough. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Your 80 years of tough is working this out. Your hardship and difficulty and up and down and struggle and all of that is playing out for all of eternity. Your light affliction, which is but for a moment when you compare it to this, is working a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. It's interesting. In that passage, Paul contrasts, my light affliction here is working out this incredible weight of incredible things here. While we look not at that which is seen, but that which is not seen. For this seen is temporary. The unseen is eternal. And I want to challenge you because I think sometimes we get so focused on this. We forget this. 
And Joseph keeps his focus on this. And in every situation he comes up against, he has one main driving thought, and it's simply this. What honors God the most? It's not about me. It's about how do I honor God? What can honor God here? So when he's in prison, when he's in the pit, he's like, how can I honor God? Well, somebody needs to, somebody, somebody needs to have a decent attitude. So I'm going to go help, and I'm going to go serve. He makes his way all the way up. Continually serving, Potiphar, 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 everything about Potiphar. Then, then all of a sudden he's stabbed in the back by Potiphar's wife, finds himself in prison again. What does he do? Well, somebody's got to feed the prisoners. I can guess I can help do that. I can honor God that way. And he continues his entire life to honor God. Some of you are struggling with tough decisions right now. You don't know which way to go. Can I give you a little bit of direction here? What decision brings the most honor and glory to God? Are the choices you're looking at, which choice honors and glorifies God the most? There's your answer. For Joseph, every time he faced a situation, it's how can I honor and glorify God the most? That's what I'm going to choose. God honors him, and God uses him. And to think that this little Jewish farm kid He's riding around all of Egypt. And every time he shows up, everybody's like, oh, it's Joseph. It's Joseph. It's Joseph. And what's amazing, when his brothers show up, and they're bowing before him, a fulfillment of a dream he had as a 17-year-old, and seeing God continue to be at work. So I challenge you this week with this idea. Joseph seeks to honor God in times of hardship and prosperity. His focus is always forward. He doesn't focus on his past hurts. He sees those hurts as opportunities for God to work out his plan. Trust God this week in every situation and honor him. Let's pray. Lord, use us. Sometimes it's easy to get lost in everything that's going on. But Lord, you're at work doing something far bigger and far more important in our lives. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to trust. Lord, may we see you. May we allow you to use us. May people see Christ in us. And when it is all said and done, Lord, may you be honored glorified and exalted in the way we live our lives this week. These things we ask in your name. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing, My Jesus, I love thee. Second verse, My Jesus, I love thee.